Good morning and welcome again. As I said, my name is Craig Thompson. I'm senior pastor here and it is absolutely our privilege to have you with us this morning. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be in the book of Ezekiel chapter 1. That's one of the major prophets. If you have a hard time finding it, that's okay. Just kind of turn to the middle and keep going. You'll make it to Isaiah and Jeremiah and Lamentations and then you'll get to the book of Ezekiel. Um, in just a few minutes, we are going to observe the Lord's Supper. You should have been given one of these fancy little cups we call them our COVID cups when you came in this morning. If you were not given one of these, would you just slide your hand up real quick? And uh, one of our deacons and uh, maybe Kevin's right here at the front will just kind of grab a couple of these baskets and make sure that, that those are, um, are taken care of. So just please let them know and they'll, they'll get you what you need. All right, just a few announcements as you're turning to the book of Ezekiel. I know Adam mentioned it already, but I would just remind you about um, the uh, tailgate fellowship this afternoon. It is the most low-key fellowship thing that we ever do here, right? You bring your own food, you bring your own chair, you sit back and we have a good time. The kids will play football or do whatever they're going to do. We invite you to come and join us for that. I also was asked to tell you that we need nursery volunteers. So um, if you uh, are, are a member here and are willing, even if you're maybe unwilling but you're still kind of willing, we kind of need help in the nursery. So one of the good things that God does for our church, on, on a Sunday morning, a third of our congregation is 18 or under, which is an incredible blessing. That also means that we need a lot of hands holding babies. So if you're trying to figure out how you can serve in, the, in our church, uh, we need you to hold babies, rock babies, pray for babies, and do all those things. So uh, Miss Erin Taylor is the person you'd usually contact. I don't think she's here today, but you can call, contact the church office, and we'll get you lined up with the things you need for that. But we, we really need you. Uh, because there are just babies who need to be held. I mean, there are worse things that we could ask you to do, right? All right. Having said those couple of things, thank you again for being here with us. If you're watching at home, uh, we know that uh, COVID is still throwing all kind of curveballs, and we're just thankful that you're here with us this morning, regardless of how you've joined in. If you have your Bible, we're in the book of Ezekiel chapter 1. I'm going to ask you if you would to stand with me in honor of God's Word, and I'm going to read Ezekiel 1, 1 through 3, and then we're going to skip down to verse 26, okay? In the thirtieth year, in the fourth month, on the fifth day of the month, as I was among the exiles by the Chebar Canal, the heavens were opened and I saw visions of God. On the fifth day of the month, it was the fifth year of the exile of King Jehoiachin, the word of the Lord came to Ezekiel the priest, the son of Buzi, in the land of the Chaldeans by the Chebar Canal, and the hand of the Lord was upon him there. Now if you want to just flip over, or maybe slide down the page to verse 26. And above the expanse, so what's happened, we've got this big vision, and we're going to kind of jump to the back end of it. And above the expanse, over their heads, there was the likeness of a throne, in appearance like sapphire, and seated above the likeness of a throne was a likeness with a human appearance. And upward from that, or upward from what had the appearance of his waist, I saw, as it were, gleaming metal, like the appearance of fire enclosed all around, and downward from what had the appearance of his waist, I saw, as it were, the appearance of fire. And there was brightness around him, like the appearance of the bow that is in the cloud on the day of rain. So it was the appearance of such of the brightness all around. Such was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. And when I saw it, I fell on my face, and I heard the voice of one speaking. And he said to me, Son of man, stand on your feet, and I will speak with you. Let's pray together one more time. Father God, we believe that this word comes from your hand. 
We believe that it is true without error. And Father God, we pray that just as Ezekiel beheld the glory of the Lord, that today through the proclamation of your word, Father God, we would catch a glimpse of your glory, that we would be challenged and changed, even as we consider what it looks like to live in Babylon. In Jesus' name, amen. Last Sunday, I urged you to not go down to Egypt, and today we're going to ask you this, what do you do if you find yourself in Babylon? That's a question we're wrestling with today. What if you find yourself in Babylon? What is Babylon? Babylon is the place of your exile. It's the country of residence, but it may not be your homeland. Babylon is the place from which you feel nostalgic. Not for which you feel nostalgic, but from which you feel nostalgic. August for me every year is a bit of a Babylon. I have on my camouflage bow tie this morning in hopes and dreams and aspirations that at some point soon the weather is going to cool off enough for me to actually be able to hunt something. But in August, I often feel like I'm in exile. I'm longing for something other than a 108 degree heat index. I'm looking for one of those 59 degree mornings where I can just catch my breath and feel like, oh, I'm back home again. Babylon isn't the place you long to go. It is the place you long to leave. It is the place you long to escape. Folks, Babylon is the place that as followers in Jesus Christ, we find ourselves often living in even today. Babylon is the place of exile. And this morning as we consider that, I want to say to you that America is Babylon. Let's just admit it. Now, America was founded upon Christian ideals, absolutely. Was it a Christian nation? Yes, in a sense. Did America ever live out her Christian ideals? No, never completely. There was seeming constant failure to do the things that that, that our founding fathers wanted to do. And so we find ourselves today. But of course we live in America as exiles. How much better to live as exiles here than of course in just about any other place on planet earth. Here we live longing for a better home, longing for a better day, but we do so without fear of persecution, without fear of terror. We certainly don't live as brothers and sisters in Christ are living today in China or certainly in Afghanistan where they are living in fear. What do we do when we find ourselves living not in the place where we want, not in God's kingdom, not in God's country, but as God's children in a foreign place? This morning, I believe that there are three things that we can glean, and maybe four, we might squeeze a fourth one in this morning, that we can glean from Ezekiel's experiences right here in the first part. Now, if you're just visiting with us for the first time, or maybe the second time and you didn't catch up the last time, we've been reading through the Bible together as a church, and I've been preaching through the Bible this year from Genesis to Revelation. Not, not only me, but everybody who's preached, we've been preaching in order. And so we've made it to the book of Ezekiel. If you're keeping up in your reading, then you will be in the book of Ezekiel in the coming week. You'll be excited to be in Ezekiel because you will labor through lamentations, which is so challenging and difficult. And even though Ezekiel is often difficult to understand with this big figurative language, it is so much more more joy when you make it to Ezekiel 1 and you've made it out of the lamentations to a vision of the Lord. Well, here in Ezekiel chapter 1, Ezekiel finds himself in Babylon How does he live and what should you do? The first thing that Ezekiel does that we see is he stays with God's people. What do you do when you find yourself living in Babylon? Stay with God's people. Watch what he says. In the 30th year, in the fourth month, 
I was on the fifth day of the month as I was among the exiles by the Chebar Canal. Who are the exiles? The exiles are the people of God who have been uprooted from their homeland and taken into the homeland of Babylon. This country that has conquered them, this country that has taken possession of their land. And King Nebuchadnezzar has uprooted them and taken them and resettled them in another place. Jeremiah, not Jeremiah, we'll come back to that. Ezekiel finds himself there among the exiles. Folks, when you find yourself living in Babylon, let me just urge you, stay with God's people. You need God's people. When the world is spinning out of control and Babylon is pressing in, you got to stay close. When the world outside is trying to change you, you need a place of refuge, a place of reset. You need a community that pushes that reset button for you and helps you to refocus and redirect your your ideals, your aims, your goals. As American Christians, as the world presses in upon us, we need a reset away from the obsession over wealth and fame that is all around us. We need a reset over the over-sexualization of our culture. We need a reset towards spirituality and away from materialism that says there is nothing that this world has to offer except that which we can see and that which we can touch. Is the church really that important? But I mean, isn't the church just something that like people created? We hear that a lot, don't we? There's a couple other pastors in, in the congregation here this morning who would tell you, well, I don't need to be a part of a church because the church is just something that man created to, to control. Or Here's the problem with that argument is that it was Jesus himself who looked at Peter and said, you are Peter and upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The problem with that effort, that statement, that idea is it, 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 it hides or shields or, or just is completely unintentionally dishonest about the reality of what the Bible teaches us in the book of Revelation. That the, the church is called the bride of Christ. And as the bride of Christ, the church is essential. If Jesus created it, and if the Bible calls it his bride, then the church is a big deal. Now, we're not just talking about church with a big C. We're talking about individual local churches. You need a local church to which you are accountable, to which you are a part. Why? Because as the world presses in, there needs to be that regular reset in your life. And the church, the people within the church, remember, what is the church? It's not this building. It's the people. The people within the church serve as those There's accountability guides. There's partners with you in ministry and in this journey of life that help you to reorient your life toward Christ or the things of Christ. We talk about this a lot in our new members class, but about 83 times in the New Testament. So it comes out to about 89, I believe, percent of the references of church in the New Testament are references to the local church, not to the big church, not to the, 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 when I say the big church, I mean not to the universal church, but to the local church. There's an expectation woven throughout the New Testament that people of God would be involved in a local church, a local gathering, an ecclesia, a local gathering, a body of believers. So Paul talks about it that way a lot, as a body with Christ as the head, because we have opportunities. So we find that Ezekiel was among the exiles. Folks, what if it is the case, or if it becomes the case, that the church becomes the exiled community within a foreign land. How desperately do we need to gather with those people so that we can maintain our identity as citizens of God's kingdom, as followers of Jesus, as children of the Most High God? If you're in Afghanistan right now, you desperately 
need your church family. You desperately need community, safety, and you need it here as well. Babylon is enemy territory, and when you are in enemy territory, you have to work doubly hard to look like Jesus. You need community. I'm going to say that again. Babylon is enemy territory, and when you find yourself in enemy territory, you have to work doubly hard to look like Jesus. You need community. Why? Because the world is impacting and influencing our decisions and our life every single day. We've got to regularly come back to the place where we are being shaped and molded into the people of God. So what do you do when you find yourself in Babylon? Number one, stay with God's people. Number two, look for the Lord. Look for the Lord. Now, there's some of you that sit there and go, Craig, didn't you get that backwards? Well, I'll be honest with you. I thought about not numbering them today. We could have had like 1A and 1B or, or just bullet points so you could have interchanged them. But there is a part of me, there's a part of me that does believe at least at times... Being within the community of God is at the very least as important as seeking the face of the Lord. Why? Because it's within the community. Jesus said, where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I will be in their midst. The Spirit of God is active among the people of God. Not only that, when we seek the face of God within a community, we have the accountability of our brothers and sisters around us that keep us from imagining or wrestling with a distorted view of who God is. How many of you have ever had somebody come to you and say, this is what I think God is? And you go, well, that's not what I think God is. And how is it that we wrestle through all these competing ideas of who God is and what God is about? Well, ultimately, it comes down to understanding and knowing this word. But how then do we understand and know that we apply it the right way because as the people of God we come together and we we study we we understand we work through that word together so when somebody comes up and they say well I think God is a big orange puppet in the sky and you go well you know I don't think that's true and they might say something like well you know it doesn't really matter what you believe they're all the same it's like Islam and Buddhism and Christianity they're all the same well, you get together with a community of believers, with the church, and you go, hey, I got these people that are saying that, 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 that it doesn't matter which God you serve, they're all the same. And you go, well, well, the struggle we have here is that Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no man comes to the Father except by me. So it can't be that Jesus and Muhammad ultimately lead to the same place because they have competing religious claims. We can't affirm that they're all true because one of them is lying if they're all leading to the same place. Right? We understand that the Bible is the authority upon which we rest our hope and our understanding, but it's within the community of believers that that Bible tends to come alive. That we, we have the guardrails that keep us from running off the side. I have those people that come alongside me and say, Brother, how do you interpret this passage of Scripture? How do you understand it so we work together to come to an understanding? So that's the first thing, but not just that. We, we need to seek the Lord, look for Him because of this. God is present with you no matter where you are. In the hard days, in the dark days, if you want to hear from the Lord, you don't need to separate yourself from God's people. You need to run to God's people and pray that through the ministry of the word among God's people that God would reveal himself. He would give you his word. Ezekiel was there among the people in Babylon and God revealed himself. Listen, it may seem dark and bleak in your world today. You might be in one of those 
personal Babylon places. You know what I'm talking about? One of those places of exile right now where your prayers don't seem to make it through the ceiling. Where it's just hard and everything seems dark. Can I just tell you, don't stop looking. God has not forgotten you. I tell this story regularly, but I'll tell it once again. We need to keep in mind that as we're seeking out the Lord, He's not let us go. He hasn't forgotten us. John chapter 10 says, The thief comes on to kill, steal, and destroy, but I've come that you may have life and have it abundantly, right? But he goes on in that passage and he says, Those whom the Father has given me are mine indeed, and no one can snatch them out of my hand. Nobody. When my oldest son was little, we're walking across the parking lot here, and my goal with my children when we're walking in places where they may stumble or where there may be traffic is I hold their hand. There's a difference between me holding their hand and them holding my hand, right? Now, let me just show you what happens. When my oldest son was young, we're walking across the parking lot right here coming into church one Sunday, and he's reached up and he's grabbed onto Daddy's pinky, and he's holding on and he stumbles in the rough uh, asphalt that was out there at the time, and when he did, he let go. And when he let go, he face-planted in the parking lot, skinned his chin and his nose. And I picked him up, and I got blood all over my dress shirt, and I preached with a bloody shirt on that day. But here's what happened. He let go. Do you know what happens when I'm holding my children and they stumble? They don't fall. Because when they stumble, I squeeze tighter. You understand? When they stumble, I pick them up. Folks, even when you can't see his face, trust his hand. He has not let you go. And watch this. He still sees you even when you don't see him. Alzheimer's and dementia is one of the really just worst diseases. It robs people of their humanity, robs them of their memories. One of the great comforts that I have because I believe and am, and, and am affirmed in God's word that God holds on to his people is that for those people that find themselves in the deep dark places of Alzheimer's dementia when they may even forget the name of their Lord is that the Lord never forgets them folks I encourage you I urge you this morning if you find yourself in Babylon look for the Lord why because watch He's there even when you don't see him. I've got this kid at my house that's aggravating. He's about this tall. You've met him. There's something he likes to do. He likes to run into a room when he thinks I didn't see him coming. And he likes to get right behind me and mimic my every move so that I can't see him. So as I turn, he likes to turn with me. He thinks I'm dumb. I always know he's there even when I can't reach him. You understand? He's right there, but he's quick. You can't quite catch him. Folks, the Lord's not hiding himself from us. He's not running away. He's there even when our eyes have been shielded by the darkness. He's there. So seek the Lord. Look for him. It might be hard. You might be in pain. It might feel inescapable, but God is there with you. And then third this morning, live as a witness. Live as a witness. When our homeland becomes Babylon, it can be easy to feel angry all the time. I get frustrated personally when I can't allow my children to watch commercials that come on TV because commercials have become 
so graphic that I don't even want my children exposed to that. I get frustrated when football halftime shows are so raunchy that I have to turn off the television. Some of you struggle with other frustrations. Lowe's sells holiday trees. Your job makes you sit through diversity train that looks more like some degree of indoctrination. And when the world does all of those things that we don't want it to, we can become irritated, frustrated, short-tempered, and just angry at the world. Can I tell you that that's not living as a witness for Jesus. That's living out of the overflow, not of God's Holy Spirit, but out of the overflow of your flesh. Some of you, let me not say, well, it is some of you. I'll just say it. Like, I'll be, I'll be honest, right? Some of you have bought the lie that when you see injustice in the world or when you see things that have turned away from Christ, that you can feed the flesh and that you can respond to these ungodly things out of what Paul terms the fruit of the flesh rather than the fruit of the Spirit. Listen to me. When we act out of our fleshly desires, regardless of whether or not there's a good reason behind it, we are still wrong. We are called to be a witness for Christ, not a vigilante against all the things that make us angry. It got real quiet in here. I've got a pretty good idea that that's because this kind of hurts some of you. Can I tell you that this is hard for me too, right? I, I don't like it when the world doesn't look the way I want it to look. But did you hear what I just said? I don't like it when it doesn't look the way that I want it to look. What if I'm not the center of the universe? What if there's more to it? What if God's not called me to shape a world that looks the way that Craig wants it to look, but instead to live out of the overflow of God's Holy Spirit in my life, making impact as a witness for Christ in the world around me? That's where we find ourselves in Ezekiel. So Ezekiel is among the people. Ezekiel seeks the Lord, and he sees the Lord high and lifted up. But it's not just in Ezekiel that we find this. We find ourselves encouraged to live as a witness, not just from Ezekiel, but from Jeremiah. Jeremiah and Ezekiel become a bit contemporary in the way that their prophecies work out. And so in Jeremiah chapter 29, all of you have probably, if you grew up in the church, you memorized Jeremiah 29, 11. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Right? We, we, we got all of that. But, but there's a lot more in Jeremiah chapter 29. And, and, and a big part of Jeremiah chapter 29 that we forget or that you just conveniently weren't told is that God's plans to prosper his people was to prosper them in a foreign land. They were captives in Babylon. These were the same people that Ezekiel is living among and speaking to. And when God sends his word of encouragement to the people living in Babylon, remember he had said, don't go down to Egypt because if you go to Egypt, you're going to die. He says, instead, if you'll go to Babylon and live as captives in a foreign land, I have a plan for you. That's what Jeremiah chapter 29, 11 is about. Jeremiah chapter 29, 11 is not for you to have your best life and everything you ever wanted. Jeremiah 29, 11 is living among foreign people, living as an exile in Babylon. I haven't forgotten you, and I still have a plan to prosper you right there. But prior to that, in Jeremiah 29, 5 through 7, we read this. He says, Jeremiah says this to those living in exile, Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare you will find your welfare. Living in a foreign land can be hard. And I continue to use this foreign land, not because I don't love our country. I use this phrase of foreign land because as citizens of God's kingdom, this world is not our home. 
We're longing for a better land. There was a time when people sang a lot more of that better land. Why don't they sing of that anymore? For the same reason that it's difficult for a rich man to pass to, to enter into heaven. Because we are so comfortable and convenient in this world that we don't long for more. But to those exiles, Jeremiah says, live as a witness in this broken, sinful, pagan culture. And so Jeremiah urges the same thing to us. Live as a witness among this broken, pagan, sinful culture. But live we must. It is our duty to seek the welfare of the city around us. How? Our mindset will matter. Do I see a broken world, a hurt world, and long to make an impact? Or do I see this world as just directed towards me? See, here's here's where the shift really has to happen. Do I see this world as my home or not? If this world is my home, now if you come to my home, my home is decorated in the way that, well, let's just be honest, that Angela thinks it should be. I was going to say that I did, but that's probably not true. There are some things that I get to have an opinion about, but, um, but, but, but she, she makes our home beautiful and lovely and cozy, but, but it reflects our family. Your house doesn't reflect our family. If I go to your house, you might have like soap in the bathrooms that I think smells bad. I might not like your laundry detergent. I go into homes that have like lots of really bright lights. Any of y'all use those super bright LEDs in your den? Don't do that. I can't take it. I walk in. It makes me uncomfortable and nervous. I get fidgety. I like a soft light, a soft white. I don't care if y'all laugh or not. It's my house. Don't tell me how to live. Did you catch it? Let let me expound upon it just in case y'all are as thick-headed as I am. When we see this world as my house, my home, and I want the lights just the way I want them, and I want the decorations just the way that I want them, and I want it to be comfortable for me, and when it's not, I want to stomp my foot and say, it's my house, it's my home. Who are you to change it? Why don't I go into your house and say the same things? It's not my home. When my mindset shifts and I see this world as a place I'm just visiting, when I perceive of myself as a guest in this place where God has allowed me to be, But I know that there's a better home waiting for me. When that shift takes place, all of a sudden I don't have to be angry every time a politician says something I don't agree with. I don't have to be angry every time a school district makes a decision I don't agree with. I don't have to be angry every time I walk into a store at Christmas time and they don't have Christmas plastered across all their stuff. And folks, I also can live a little bit removed from it and go, you know what? They had Christmas on there all the time because they thought that it would make them money. And now they think that it won't make them money, so they did something else. And I go, they never really cared about me anyway. And they certainly never cared about Jesus. When my mindset shifts 
And I remember that this isn't my home. I have the chance to approach the world around me in a positive manner. America isn't home. South Carolina isn't home. This world is not our home. In many ways, this world, our culture is Babylon. And we are God's people living in a strange land. And we walk through this strange land trying to make friends with the inhabitants of this land and bring them into our community where they get to know the one true God. Because we have the Lord's Supper this morning, I've got to move towards a conclusion, but it's going to be a little long, so don't start packing your things up. How do you live as God's people in a strange land in Babylon? The first thing this morning is stay with God's people. Stay. Stay rooted. It is so easy. And, and, and look, COVID has thrown us all the curveballs, right? right? Because there are really good reasons why some folks can't be gathered in worship. Especially prior to, to vaccines, also, there are really good reasons for that. But then those reasons sometimes begin to, to drag on, don't they? Like, I, I had a good reason Eight months ago, I've, I've had three doses of my vaccine, but you know what? It sure is comfortable. I had a guy that, that's not a member of our church, but he told me, he said, Craig, I, I heard your, your sermon. He said, it really hit home. He said, because my, my wife and I, we, we've gotten so comfortable watching church in our pajamas at home. He said, and I'm such a hypocrite. He said, because I get up, I drink my coffee, I watch church in my pajamas, and then we get dressed and go out to lunch. He, he said, he said th thank you. This was a message I preached probably eight months ago. He said, I, I am that guy. I said, well, brother, I won't use your name, but I'm going to tell your story a whole bunch. <laughs> to his credit, he said, use my name. I probably deserve it, <laughs> but I won't do that. But the point is, like, it's, it's become very convenient, acceptable, and comfortable to separate yourself from God's people. But, folks, it's dangerous. It's dangerous when the sheep gets separated from the flock. It's dangerous when a soldier is separated from his unit. They're all by themselves. Folks, you're in danger when you're separated from God's people. You're in danger for the enemy to find you, to impact you. Folks, you're also in danger of ceasing to look anything like Jesus. Because the longer I live in the world, the more I look like the world. Adam likes to say that any one of us is the, the average of the five people that we spend the most time around. And if you find yourself spending most of your time around people that don't love Jesus, guess what? Good chance you don't look like Jesus either. You, you, can, you can try to convince yourself that you do, but you probably don't. you got to stay with God's people. Look for the Lord. When you find yourself in Babylon, trust me, he's not gone. You might not be able to see him, but he's there as close as a whisper. You might not even feel him, but he is there. And then live as a witness. When you understand this world is not your home, that God still has a special community for you, and that God is with you, and he has a purpose for you, then you can live in this foreign land, you ready, as Christ did. Some of you already made that turn ahead of me, didn't you? Because some of you, though, are sitting there, you're going, well, Craig, that makes perfect sense for you, fine, whatever. I hear what you're saying, but it, it didn't used to be like this, Craig. And if we don't fight back, if, if we don't stand up, Craig. 
Folks, what are you called doing the same thing over and over and over again while continuing to get the same results? As conservative Christians, we've spent years trying this whole us versus the world identity. We've, we've tried to scream, yell, and legislate against sinfulness and against ungodliness in the process. We've often fed the fruit of the flesh rather than succumbing to the fruit of the Spirit. This battle is the Lord's, and we have to take our commands from Him. What do we do when we find ourselves in Babylon? We remember that He's present with us. We know that no matter how dark the days get, God is still there. Watch this. Psalm 139, verse 7 through 12. You know what? You should turn there. Okay, I'm going to turn there too. If you have your Bible. If you're one of those people that, that underlines in your Bible or marks in your Bible, I would encourage you to mark these, past, these verses. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you, for the night is bright as day, for darkness is as light with you. You find yourself living in exile, living among these pagan peoples. You find yourself living away from the place you want to be. You find yourself in darkness and depression and despair. Take a deep breath. God is still there. He has not forgotten you. He has not forsaken you. As South Carolinians, we live by this motto, while there is breath, there is hope. Take a breath, but then, then, be reminded of this. Almost 2,000 years ago, on a hill outside of Jerusalem, our Savior was led into the place of outcasts. Our Savior was led to the ultimate place of exile upon Golgotha's hill, upon that hill where our Savior died. Jesus was led there, and He died for you and me. Jesus has been to Babylon for you. He took your sin, your shame. He took your punishment. He died for the sins of the world on that place. And folks, that's the hope that we have living as exiles. Not ultimately that we would have the intestinal fortitude to make it through the hard days. But that we would have the willingness to surrender to the one who overcame on our behalf. You see, when it's all said and done, living through exile. See, here's the problem. They were in exile because they were losers. Do you understand that? They were in exiles because they had been overcome. They were in exiles because they had been defeated. And it was from their place of defeat 
that God was going to raise up a root from the stump of Jesse. It was from that place of surrender that God was going to do something magnificent. And folks, when you find yourself in Babylon, it is not from your victory. It is from your surrender that Jesus will sustain you. That's how we live as witnesses in a broken world. Not from strength, but from brokenness and surrender because of the Jesus who died for you and for me. Last Sunday, I urged you not to go down to Egypt. And I hope that you won't. I hope that you won't run to the place where you can try to sustain yourself because there the sword will seek you out. But folks, when you find yourself in a place of defeat, I pray that you would bow humbly. Here I am, Lord. Do with me as you will. Send me, God. God, show yourself to me. And Lord God, keep me safe among your people. For there is hope. This morning, we're going to observe the Lord's Supper. As I said already about baptism... The Lord's Supper does not save. It's a, it's a remembrance meal. It's the way that we understand it from God's Word. That we, we do this not as the actual body and blood of Jesus, but as, as remembrance. That's why on the communion table there it says, This do in remembrance of me. And so it's appropriate that we would observe the Lord's Supper. If you have these little cups, go ahead and pull it out. It's, it's appropriate that we would observe the Lord's Supper today as a reminder that Jesus Christ saved us through surrender and our hope for salvation and Christian living is found not in our strength but in his strength in his death in his shed blood his resurrection from the grave and so this morning as we reflect upon that which God has called us to reflect upon living as God's people in this broken world reflect upon living in Babylon this morning we Take a moment to reflect upon the Savior who died in exile from his own people, in exile outside of his own city, who died so that we might live. The Bible teaches us in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 these words that, the, that Jesus owned the night when he was betrayed. Took the bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it. And so this morning, before we get to that place, these little cups are a little tricky, okay? So there's two little things. I know it's not very reverent, but again, we're trying our best with COVID to do as we can. So there's this little cellophane on the top. So go ahead and just peel that back, okay? And there's a wafer there. And the Bible says that, that he gave thanks. And so I'm going to pray this morning and thank the Lord for his broken body. Lord God, we come to you today and we thank you that Jesus gave his body so that we might live. We thank you, Lord God, that as we are called to walk in sacrifice and service, that, Father God, that was modeled before us by a Savior who willingly gave himself. We pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. The Bible says that he broke it and he said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. The Bible says in verse 25 of 1 Corinthians chapter 11 that in the same way he also took the cup after supper. 
saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Let me pray once more. Lord, we thank you for the shed blood of Jesus. Lord God, not only did Jesus die as a, as a model for us, Lord God, to, to teach us about sacrifice, even more, Lord God, he died as a propitiating sacrifice. That with the shed blood of Jesus, the wrath of God was satisfied upon Calvary's cross. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins, but Lord God, with the shedding of the blood of the precious Son of God, the sins of the world were atoned for. We thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Once again, do this in remembrance of me. The Bible says, For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. On that night when Jesus died, when he gave his life, but the, the night that he, he observed that first Lord's Supper with his disciples, the Bible says that afterward they, they sang a song. And we always close our services with music, with an invitation. But this morning, it's appropriate that we would sing a song after we reflect upon Jesus' death for us. This morning, if you're here and some of this is a little bit crazy, it doesn't make perfect sense to you. Maybe you wonder about what, what kind of man would die for you, what it would mean to be a Christian. I, I want to invite you this morning in just a moment as I stand um, and we sing, please come forward. I'd love to pray with you. I'd love to uh, even introduce you to somebody that could pray over you. Uh, if you'd like to pray around this altar, you're welcome to do so. Perhaps this morning there are other things the Lord's working in your life. Maybe you've attended our Next Steps class. You're ready to make your, your membership with our church official and you'd like to join. Whatever it is that the Lord is leading you to do this morning. In just a moment, our, our musicians are going to come and they're going to lead us. But I want to remind you one last time before we sing. Jesus went to the place of exile so that when we find ourselves in those places, we can know that we are not alone and we are not forsaken. In the middle of your Babylon, in the middle of your storm, in the middle of your exile, Jesus is with you today. Any way that the Lord is working today, I pray that you would allow him to do so. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, I pray that you would be at work among us. Thank you for the shed blood of Jesus Christ that we could reflect upon this morning. I thank you for the hope that we have because of the cross and an empty tomb. For the model, Lord God, of faithfulness that we see in the book of Ezekiel. And the call, Lord God, to live as exiles. Not because this world is so terrible, but because, Lord God, the home that we have laid out before us is so magnificent. Where tears are wiped away and there is no more death, pain, or sorrow. We praise you and look forward to that day. In Jesus' name, amen. Stand with us this morning as we sing.